Hey guys, welcome to Right Way, a podcast where we give you insight to make informed decisions about your writing career. I'm your host, Rhea Fry, multi-published author and CEO and founder of Right Way. And I'm Joe Tower, writer, media producer, and Right Way's executive editor. On this podcast, Rhea and I will take an inside look at the publishing industry with honest and straightforward shop talk. So when you do get published, you'll know exactly what to do the right way. I'm always ref- like kind of invigorated by those how to be a writer articles that are supportive of the writer. I feel like there are so many and there have been so many that are kind of like, suck it up, baby. Like stop whining and sit down and like meet your word count, fucker. And I'm just like, that's so, it's so reductive and like not the way to encourage people to write well, at think all. Whenever we talk about being a writer, whenever we talk about being an author, or wanting to write a book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, it's all about the result and the process of that thing. So like, yeah, like you got to hit a word count. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to pick your publication path. You've got to understand the industry, you know, and understand that it's a business, but there is very little room for author development, what it means to become an author, the author life on a daily basis, what that looks like, what that feels like. And then author care. Um, my friend Jen DePaula, who owns an incredible company called Mixtus Media, um, they have a podcast called Book Marketing Simplified. And we were talking about this term author care. And I was like, oh my God, you know, you hear self-care all the time, but what does that mean to take care of yourself as an author and to really focus on wellness and how does that affect your creative process and ultimately the end result? Well, that's interesting. So what, what, I mean, for you, like what, 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 (laughs) What does that mean? Or have you paid attention to it? Or is it something that you feel like is almost new to you now? Well, it's interesting because my entire writing career, let's say, not my entire writing career, let's say my fiction career. So from 2016, 2017 to now, my books have been so like randomly put together. So writing in 15 minute intervals, you know, my, I can be writing and my daughter comes in or I have to stop and do a client call or, oh shit, now it's time to go pick her up or, oh, I need to work out or it's very frenetic. It's very ADD. That's been my writing experience. And then in 2020, when I decided like, I need a separate space from my house, something that I love, something that I I'm really, you know, inspired by and I I bought this little tiny home I started to kind of shift the way I was thinking about writing and and really you know creating and and cultivating time for myself but I'll be honest even though I've had this I don't write in here as much as I thought I would I breathe I meditate which is all part of author care for me like getting centered for the day journaling filling this space with things I really love um But when it comes to sitting down and writing, yeah, in the past, I've looked at writing as a very separate thing than cultivating a beautiful space or taking care of myself or, I don't know, like lighting candles and putting on good music and and creating an environment that really makes me excited to to write. I mean, I did that for for the gym, right? Like I didn't go to a gym last year, so we converted our garage. And now it's a space I want to go into. I I like what's in there. I love my routine. So 
I know a lot of writers, I mean, they make their offices beautiful. They do kind of curate and cultivate a space, but I feel like we don't necessarily put as much emphasis on our mental well-being, our physical well-being, and just the ebbs and flows of a creative life, especially if you're a female. I know I mentioned this in the last podcast, but I'm reading this book called In the Flow, F-L-O, and it's all about a woman's 28-day biological clock and how we should be, (laughs) we should be like scheduling out our whole month based on where we are in our cycle. So like week by week, it changes. I'm not supposed to be creative all month. There's a very specific time and place to be creative, to get my ideas down. There's a very specific week in the month where I'm more, I should be focused more on administrative tasks. There's a week where I should do nothing but kind of rest and reflect. And once I've really started syncing with this and thinking about my writing life and my creative life with this, it's been a game changer in terms of like, I don't have to write every day. I don't feel like writing every day. And there's actually a hormonal reason why I don't. And so this past, um, you know, we were supposed to have a right way retreat, our very first right way retreat. So exciting. And then with COVID, we just, we kind of, you know, pushed that off, but I kept the house, this giant barn and, was like, I'm just going to go to it for a couple days instead of, you know, canceling it completely. And that simple change in environment, being on 80 acres, you know, just removing the day-to-day, I plowed through and finished a first draft of my work in progress that I've really been stalled out on. And I think that I took it upon myself, like, yes, it was expensive to go and do that, but that was a way of taking care of myself. That was an investment that was worth worth it. And I didn't have to get on a plane or go super far, but it did take getting out of my day-to-day environment to really feel invigorated and inspired to actually sit down and get lost in a story. Well, and all that, I mean, it's, and I obviously know for like, I think you're right. I think in particular for, for females, uh, for female writers, I think in particular for, I mean, I I don't know any, any, any writers or authors that aren't white men. Um, I think there is probably, there is definitely, um, the feeling the, to have to work harder, to have to work like 10, 10 times as hard as, as your white male counterparts, um, to try to get ahead and which is super unfortunate and probably a topic for a, a, another podcast episode. But I think one of the things you touched on was so interesting because all of that is like interrelated, right? Our physical well-being as authors, our mental well-being as authors, our sacred space, our routine, our ritual, um, all of that stuff is interconnected. And I think one of the things that it kind of it, it all connects back to is the fact that we become unwilling to listen to our, our own mind and our own body. And we become so insistent on, you know, like those, like those how to articles, we, we will put more faith into a article titled five ways to become a better writer by someone we've never heard of that we that's clickbait online. We will put more faith in that than we will into like our very own gut instincts that are saying like, 
let's do it like this, not like this. We'd like to do it like this, not like this. We're, we're, we're so willing to put stock in the external. And really, again, everything about your, your, your habits for, for writing, everything about your routines, everything about the way you probably should be doing, this comes down even, even to your, your themes and your ideas and, and your execution your gut instinct is always probably right, is probably the right one, but we ignore it uh, for the sake of of expertise from elsewhere. Oh my God. I mean, you just nailed it. I mean, the, the issue I feel like with humanity in general right now is we have forgotten how to listen to our own innate voices and when i was on this retreat well and in everything right in every, with everything no with yeah. absolutely everything yeah, and yeah. so i you know you know not to like geek out but i'm very into different healing modalities and functional medicine and you know all of that but on on one of the days that i was there i had written a little bit and then i um got up in the morning fed the chickens there these awesome chickens collected <laughs> the eggs it was Amazing. so awesome and then i Amazing. went i went on a, a hike slash trail run and then i treated myself to a facial and this facialist in nashville is like she is amazing she's at organic skin den it is the most unbelievable experience like it's it's so beyond a facial she's incredible but we were talking about choices and questions and like when we have to make a decision and we often ask other people for advice or other people's opinions or we do we ignore that that voice and often make decisions based on our sense of obligation to others or our fear of disappointing others and so what she does is she muscle tests questions and decisions. And I was like, wait, what? Like, so if for those of you who don't know what muscle testing is, um, it's, it's very like common in the natural world, but you can take a supplement or a vitamin or whatever, stand with your legs kind of bent, hold it against your chest. And if you tip forward, your body likes it. If you lean back, your body doesn't. And there are different ways to do it too, where you can hold something. Like, uh, my chiropractor. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That's, that's what, that's how she works. it, it's amazing what questions, how specific oh my God. the questions you can ask your body and the way that it will respond. It's unbelievable. And you, another way you can do it is, you know, you put one arm out and like you can mm-hmm. hold whatever on your chest That's or just ask a question. And, yeah. And then they push if you're. And I want to reiterate for anybody that like remains skeptic, you will be shocked at, at, at the ability. Like if your body is confident in the answer to the question, your muscle if it's like the arm out method, your muscle will lock. It's immovable. Um, like the my chiropractor can put the her entire body weight on my arm and and it won't move. But if your body is even remotely uh, questioning the the answer or like or or uncertain about this particular question that you're asking it, uh, your your muscles will fail. It's amazing. It's amazing, and we spend our whole lives denying our own innate wisdom. And it, I mean, it really does come back to that. Like we have every answer. We know everything we should or shouldn't be doing. And we complicate everything and we, oh my God. We well, and just... think about this. Think about how much noise there is anyway, right? So in your own, in your own brain, um, how how the brain how the how the brain makes decisions too is 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 almost it's almost a folly because was it what it does is it, it assembles like a kind of like like half done jigsaw puzzle a bunch of past experiences and a lot of times when your ego's involved 
uh, you know, it can obviously like frame the picture, skew the picture, but it, it, it assembles all of these past experiences into like a, a, a patchwork thought and like a thought that becomes a behavior. And it, it's not a behavior that's necessarily valid for that particular moment in time. Cause your, 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 your animal brain is like stuck in the past because like when we were primitive people, it had to be cause you had to remember where the fucking saber tooth cat was so that you didn't go hunting or gathering over there. But anymore it assembles all of the things, all of the shitty things you've ever thought about yourself, all of the shitty things that anybody has ever said about you, and it compiles them into your behavior. So on top of your the your your active brain not really knowing what's best for it, your your gut brain knows what the fuck is up. But your your active logical, you know, walking upright brain is is confused. So then on top of that, we go and we seek expertise from external sources, muddying the waters even more. Completely. So like, imagine how, like how much noise there is. Oh. Like it's. I, well, the, and the biggest thing, I, I know everyone's like, oh my God, she's gonna talk about social media again. And it's not from a, again, I get it. I understand the pros of it, but with our phones, with technology, with all of these things, it has removed the ability to sit still and just think. Thinking and being still are two of the most important things. They are the most human things we can do. How do we really know how we feel about anything? What we really want on on a core gut level, not what we think we should want. If we're constantly scrolling, consuming, looking at what other people are doing, busying, busying ourselves so that we have no gaps to just like sit and B. And, you know, I watch my daughter. So we've like recently we've, oh boy, we've had some like ups and downs. And we noticed that the biggest gripes are with technology. So she has my old computer because she loves um, writing stories on them. She has an iPod touch because she listens to music. But I notice when those two things are available, she will use any excuse like, hey, can I just print out a, a coloring page or can I write a story? Or then she's she's just head down on the screen, right? So we had this huge blow up and we took the technology away. And I know that's not a, of course she can earn it back, but like a lot of people will say, well, there's gonna be technology. She's gonna know how, she's gonna have to know how to use it. And I get that, but she already uses a computer at school. So at home, you know, we've just gotten into kind of some bad habits with just letting her kind of do her thing. But I noticed when we removed those as options, we, she and I specifically played <laughs> so much. We did so many different things. She is left to be bored and to create and to craft. And now like, you know, a week or two in, she doesn't even ask for those things. Like it's not even a, you know what I mean? And she's been like a different child. She's been so present and fun and wanting to, to do, not that she's not fun. That's a terrible thing to say, but just she's, she is present. She is conscious. And I'm like, wow, if it can affect a nine-year-old who is still so connected to source and to energy and to where we come from, if technology can remove her so much from her own humanity in just a short window of time, think about us that have had technology now for 20 plus years, even longer on, on such a like day-to-day basis. And let's sidebar this for a second, because also, you know, I, I think that's such a valid point, but also on, on the flip side, like 
we're talking about there are generations that don't know the absence of of the digital, right? Of of the technology. Oh, so and it's so, so important. What here's what's and here's what's frightening and you know, like I said, sidebar, but I think it's important to talk about and I think it's especially important to talk about in relationship to author care. And this is how truly insidious and, and truly how deep and intrinsic these behaviors go once we learn them. So, yes, you're right. We've had 20 plus years with these technology, but also imagine that for at least probably half, I mean, I didn't have my first cell phone, I think, till I was in college. So, so I've had at least half of my life without the persistent handheld technology at hand, right? So we do have we have a foundation of experience without it, with the absence of it. But that being said, so we've had 20 years of like really ingrained development and really ingrained conditioning uh, of, the, of these particular behaviors. And here's how, here's how fucking difficult and truly part of our, the fabric uh, of, of our brains it is. I have, so I'm, I'm 41, um, obviously like, you know, with our work, we're, we're very plugged in all the time. I have been off social media except for LinkedIn for a, a year, a couple years, like a little over a year now, maybe all, all and look at all the growth all, that all, you've done all personally on a media, personal right? level. <laughs> right. So, so now even recently, and I, I did like, I cut back on a lot of work stuff. So I've deleted email, my email app for my phone. I've deleted my browser. I've deleted all workflow apps. The only thing really I have left, I have Google Maps. I have a music app. I have a crossword app. And I have like one app that reminds me every day that I'm going to die. Um, that's also another conversation <laughs> for a different podcast uh, episode. So my phone does, there is nothing on my phone right now. Say well, save for phone. text save it's for text phone. message or phone to alert me to anything. There's no new information. Oh. Do you know how often I still pull that phone out of my pocket and look at it? Tell me. I, Tell I, me. I, 30 times a day. At least oh well that's so, that's so minimal I'm still, compared so to I'm most people. So I'm still doing it even though I consciously removed everything that could create new information on this phone, I'm still pulling it out to look at it. Unpr unprompted. So that's how deep this shit goes. And, but I think, you know, your, your work with Soph, like, I think that it's, that shows that that behavior can still be broken, but, and, you know, we're both big proponents of digital minimalism, but I think sometimes, you know, in, in the book, digital minimalism, sometimes it does talk about the fact that the clean break doesn't necessarily always work, but sometimes I'm tempted to say like the clean break, at least to start with might be the only thing that does it the cold Turkey. But it's the thing that's so sad about all this to me is that yes, we've had half of our lives wandering free, you know, not chained to technology, no laptops, no cell phones, all of that. And we are so addictive. There's or addicted. There's something I mean, I watch my daughter and like she has, so she has her iPod touch. She can send messages on it to me and Alex. So like if we go for a walk, if she's staying with my grandparents or, or with her grandparents, she can send us messages if she wants to. But the way that she's using it already, like a phone and how addictive and how innate it is to just like put your head down 
and scroll and consume, even at that age, is it is the biggest addiction of our time, I think. And like uh, kind of piggybacking off of that, like we're talking about, you know, rather than tuning out to things, starting to tune back in. And I bought this, um, I'm a huge deck person, like tarot cards and like different things. And I bought this deck. It's my favorite deck. I've bought it for most women in my life. It's called the Divine Feminine. And it's all these like goddesses and deities and like some real women in history and, and some that are more mythological. And I pull a card every day. And yesterday I got Freya. I think that's how you say it. F-R-E-Y, which is my last name, Fry, and then uh, J-A. And she, it is all about saying yes <laughs> to the things when it's like a holy hell yes and like saying no to everything else. And for me, that really means noise too. That's not just saying no to meetings and people and whatever. But um, so each of these cards, it has like, who the woman was in history or mythology, and then why your soul picked that card. And I just wanted to read this tiny little paragraph because it just kind of goes along with what we're talking about. But it says, nothing is obligatory except breathing. Your own true obligation, your only true obligation is to the voice of your own soul. Freya wants you to realize the gleaming gold that you are and act accordingly. She wants you to unapologetically choose the life you actually want to be living right now. She wants you to make your yes holy again by only using it when it's the truth. And then there's a soul voice meditation. It says, what does a holy yes uh, sorry, what does a hell yes, the holy yes, feel like in my body? And so I always um, read these questions and then I'll meditate on them. And then the intention is I spend my time wisely. I only say yes when it's a holy hell yes. And I really try to like, you know, think about what is a yes in my life. And I do think this like goes back to <laughs> back to author care and back to how we often will fill our lives when we're trying to be authors. Say you're a full-time author or an aspiring author or an author who still has a day job. We will fill our time, our schedules, everything with such busyness that doesn't really fill our souls up on that deep, like, holy hell yes level. And when it comes to being an author, most authors I talk to, it's astonishing how little time we do actually spend like cultivating the right environment, taking care of ourselves, preparing ourselves to write, nurturing ourselves through the process, being kind to ourselves and, and really sticking with it. It's, it's very, um, it feels like it's this career, such an afterthought sometimes, or, you know, a lot of authors that I know who are very successful, the amount of time they spend, you know, promoting their work, um, connecting with readers, connecting with other authors. It's a, it's a complete, it's a complete other job. And I, I don't know. I just implore people to really think about what it means to have author care in your life and like what that looks like and cultivating a life, not just a writing environment, but an actual life that really supports what it is you want to be doing. At the oh end my of the god, day. that's so true! And and just to consider the fact that really anything less than that is not sustainable. You know, and and you know that being said, like it it works 
it's going to work differently for different people. And there are those writers who, by virtues of the wiring in their brain and the, you know, the, their, their, their gut, their gut mind getting up at 5am and pounding out 3000 words is just what works for them sitting at a desk. But yeah. And, and that's, that's what we're saying. Like, stop looking at what anyone else yes. is doing and start asking yourself what feels good yes, to me. That is the only right. thing you should be asking. That that author who is a successful author and gets up at 5 a.m. to write, to, to type 3,000 words a day, that has nothing to do with you. The only thing, the only thing that has to do with us is us. And that's one of the hardest things that has, it's, it's always been for me to remember is I am so ready to look at someone else's paper and be like, well, how, well, how are you doing it? That's, that seemed to work really well. And it's only recently where I've been like, oh no, that, that doesn't, I think we had this conversation. Like I've, I've kind of, you know, said yes to a lot of stuff that I didn't necessarily want to do. And my workspace, which is, I, I view as like, you would walk in this space and there is no space that is so designed. It, it is literally me like in, as a room and it is a place that has suddenly felt uncomfortable to me. Um, so because I was, because I was doing things that weren't in alignment and even with the act itself, even in the room itself, like I got very hung up on like, got to write at my desk but that's not always comfortable for me. And also remember- Oh, see, I don't like I'm, writing at a desk. I remember writing that desk. writing is not, the, the your process of writing isn't always writing. Like sometimes it might be journaling. Sometimes, like you said, you made a great comment about the writing you got done uh, while you were in, in, in Franklin and, and on the retreat. I was sitting at a kitchen table. Sitting at the kitchen table <laughs> and you said you did a lot of thinking. Yeah. Which is part of the I fucking did. process. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, Biggest part of the process, I think. I mean, I spend more time thinking about it versus actually doing it, is, I feel I like. I think it's that that standard. And I think the other, you know, what this all comes back to also is in general, like the first stage of author care or writer care is to acknowledge the fact that if you have the desire and you have the drive and you, you are writing, you're a writer. Like, don't wait to call yourself that. Uh, don't wait to acknowledge that identity. Cause that's going to be the first step to everything else that, you know, that you mentioned in, in cultivating this life and everything else that's going to come after it, that's going to help. And you I, I think it. like, I, I would just lastly say, Yes, wherever you are in the writing process um, or on your path to becoming an author, we con I feel like we constantly look ahead to when this thing happens, then I'm going to feel like I've made it. When, you know, I get the deal, when I get this, when I do that. And we talk about that a lot, but I the reason I bring that up, I was um <laughs> I never go on Facebook, but some memories popped up. I I got on there to check my author page and some memories popped up from, you know, years and years ago, but uh, yesterday specifically in 2017 was when I first flew to New York. I met my agent in real life. I met my editor um, in real life for the first time. I went and visited um, the Flatiron Building when St. Martin's Press was still there. And the post that I wrote, it was like, it was like, oh my God, my dreams have finally come true. I've dreamed about this my whole life. Like, I can't wait to see what happens next. And there are two parts of me, like when I was looking at that, I was like, I remember what it felt like to, to be so excited and to really feel 
like my life is going to change and anything and everything's going to happen. And then I have the version now knowing what I know where I don't know if I'll ever feel that way again because my experience has been tainted with all sorts of things, good and bad. And I, it's like I know too much now. I know too much about the industry. I know too much about the business. But I look back on that and and what a lucky memory that is to have because I remember just feeling just limitless. And I think as authors, um, it's something we can do for ourselves, especially during the creative process, is to be limitless, to think in a limitless way, to dream, to imagine, to expand and not put limits on anything. And I think that's what I've started to do now when I write. I'm like, well, I know my readers hate when I do this. I know an editor is going to look for this. Oh, shit, I can't do this because my, you know, then it won't sell. And I'm constantly putting those parameters on the creative process. So, you know, when I was at this little, um, in this barn, (laughs) this renovated barn, I just removed all that shit and tried to channel the writer in me and the writer in us, the creative in us doesn't care about any of that shit. The The true creative listens to that gut brain and isn't in our analytical mind. And when I do that, I mean, I looked up like, cause I, I really struggled, you know, I got to like 20,000 words pretty quickly. 20 to 40,000 words was the biggest slog ever. 40 to 60 just never seemed like it was going to get there. And then suddenly I I like wrote, you know, 25,000 words when I was there and it just flew out of me because I finally allowed myself to just release and write and not worry about what comes next. And I think that is so important when you're trying to take care of yourself is to allow yourself to just create and dream and and be in that limitless mindset. Uh, what do you say? Let us know at podcast at rightwayco.com. Uh, we will respond. And thank you to uh, all of the people that have responded uh, to a number of these episodes so far. Uh, we love your emails and really, res- really responding to the questions and people that are at all different parts of the journey. We love that and we love talking to you. Um, and that's the only way that we all can figure this out together is if 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 we talk. So we love your emails. Keep them coming. They're so fun. So hit us up and thank you for listening. Take care of yourself. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Right Way Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and comment and help us continue to deliver the content you want and need. And for more information about Rightway, visit rightwayco.com to get more info on all our editorial and developmental services and sign up for our weekly newsletter where we'll be sharing exclusive content, access to digital courses, and offering proprietary resources for aspiring and established writers. 